Hello, I'm Howard, and welcome to a one-off special podcast, looking at a rather special event for all City fans next week in Manchester. Uh, so with no further ado, I shall in- introduce my guest, none other than Gary James, author, football and City historian, and much more besides. Uh, hello, Gary, how are you? I'm fine, yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, well, thanks for coming on and talking about this. Uh, so yeah, so basically this podcast... Uh, there's a little something else to talk about at the end, but this podcast is about a talk you're performing uh, next Thursday, the 11th of April. Uh, it's entitled, it's at the Dance House Theatre in Manchester, entitled MCFC 125, Celebrating the Birth and First Successes of Manchester City. I've got that right, haven't I? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a bit of an odd title, to be honest. I, I wish we'd, we'd made it simpler, but, but anyway, it, it is what it is. Um, I mean, the, the, the idea of the evening is that on uh, Thursday, the 12th of April, 1894, the meeting was held that established or decided to establish Manchester City as a as a proper football club. Um, yeah. And then on the si- on Monday, the 16th of April, 1894, it became officially registered by uh, Company's House. So, so the idea was to to try and do some sort of talk uh, on the closest Thursday to that anniversary. So Thursday, the 11th is is the closest uh, Thursday, obviously. Um, and to and to really celebrate City, to celebrate the birth yeah. of the club, but also um, celebrate everything that's happened. The supporters club, Kevin Parker, the supporters club, was keen to try and um, support this from the start, really. And, and it's also the 70th anniversary of the City supporters club, City official supporters club. So uh, what the evening is, is, is sort of half about the birth of a club, the origins, the first successes, and half about the role supporters have played in the in the club's history throughout, throughout its history, really. Brilliant. Well, shall we just have a run through? Yeah, so, you say, a, a talk of two halves. Uh, the first half of the show, will it focus just basically on the first, the early days, the birth of the club, yeah, and I'm, the I'm, people that led that, basically? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start with a little bit about Main Road for, for reasons that become obvious on the night. But I'm going to say a little bit about Main Road, first of all, and then I'm going to jump back to the beginnings of the club. So I'm going to spell out once and for all the, the, the truth as we know it. Um, there's still research being done, but the truth as we know it on the very beginnings of the club before it became Manchester City. Then on Joshua Powell being Manchester City and the, the sort of relaunch. Um, and then that's going to carry on through to winning the FA Cup in 1904, Manchester's first success. So it's it's coming up period up to up to 1904. And then the second half is is more about supporters, which I'll explain a bit more about it later, I guess. Yeah. And obviously I don't want to go through your, your whole talk <laughs> during this podcast. <laughs> so we'll keep it brief. Uh, keep plenty of the, the juicy details uh, for those that go next week. Uh, tell us a bit, you start, are you going to start with Joshua Palby? Just tell us a little bit. Stuart Brennan's... Have you co-written an article on the, the Evening News website and in the well, paper? With yeah, a very interesting article if people haven't seen it. Uh, tell us a bit about Palby and his, yeah. his rather interesting methods for getting City on the map, so to speak. Well, well Palby, I mean, the, the article that Stuart did, I, I gave Stuart all the information, really, and basically what it is is that Palby was a real sort of conniving sort of figure um he's a <laughs> yeah. big a big booming man i i sort of picture him like the actor blame brain blessed yeah. you know a big booming sort of figure um and what whatever he did he managed to wangle his way 
to, to success. Um, so when he joined with City, and he, well, he joined with Hardwick initially, um, he decided that Hardwick Football Club was never going to achieve much as Hardwick. Um, yeah. And he wanted to create something bigger and better. And he wanted us a club to represent all of Manchester. And this was really key. And I'll, I'll, I'll go into a lot of detail on this on, on Thursday next week. Um, but this was significant because there was Newton Heath, which he became Manchester United eventually. And there was Hardwick. But both clubs weren't particularly good. And so he wanted this Manchester club. And he did all sorts of stuff. I mean, be- before Hardwick sort of collapsed... He used to sneak the players onto trains to, to go to away games. And I have sort of visions of him, you know, getting in one of the old sort of carriages and sort of more or less blocking the door so the guard can't come in. And then they get off at, you know, at Wolverhampton or wherever they're going to and, and play the game and do the same back. Um, so, I mean, pretty remarkable, actually, because he must have had the kit the players, you know, um, everything that goes with a football club to, to an away game. But he did it. Um he also, when it came to 1894 and the relaunch, he wasn't officially the person who came up with the idea of creating Manchester City. Yeah. But we know from sort of reading between the lines and from articles about page years later, he was working in the background to, to make Manchester City happen. And as soon as as soon as this meeting took place in April 1894, Palby's name was then the number one name and 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 that was Ian. He was the driving force. Um I think it's it's significant that in in a you know a sort of period when we've we've just lost Bernard Alford who, who's done yeah. you know 40 odd years, 50 years associated with Manchester City. Um it's important to remember that there's lots of the there's lots of these figures over the years that put in some incredible service to a club. But unfortunately, time forgets them. So alongside Palby, there's a guy called Lawrence Furness, who was actually involved with City from the early 1880s through to, the, through to 1941 when he died and, and was an active figure. So we've had, we, City's been blessed with some long-standing sort of club officials that, that never quite get the acclaim and, and the focus that perhaps they deserve. And, and Palby is, is another one of those, really. Yeah. So how long was he involved with the club and how long will you, you know, how further forward will you be discussing his role with City? Yeah, well, I, I'm going to really talk, it's mostly I'm going to talk about his role in 1894 and right. then sort of leave Palby to one side because he's a, he's a fascinating character, but but the story then jumps into the, the, the race to win a trophy, the, yeah. the race to become Manchester team, the significance of winning that trophy. And there's some really good stuff about 1904 that I'm going to talk about, which... It might surprise a few people, but it might help get people to understand that this is why City still, after everything that's happened over the, over the last 125 years, City is still Manchester's club, and it's still the community club of Manchester. No matter what success we have, no matter yeah. where we go, no matter what United achieve, City will still be Manchester's club. And it, it all goes down to that beginning with, with Palby. And, and so I'm, I'm going to explain why that's the case. I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that happened um, that, that established City as the force, really. And, and City were definitely the, the bigger team. And, and one of England's powers right the way through up to um, the Second World War and, and obviously beyond then. But, but certainly in terms of dominance in Manchester, City was the team. Yeah. Uh, so you'd be looking, of course, at the 1904 FA Cup. Yeah, and, and what's the relevance of the homecoming beef that that you think made Manchester? You know, 
It's a about truly the, footballing city. Yeah, it's about the diversity of it. I mean, obviously, Manchester wasn't, um, in terms of sort of ethnicity, Manchester wasn't particularly mixed. But in terms of nationalities, it was. Um, you know, there an awful lot of German, Jewish people, Polish, um, all sorts of people from Eastern Europe living in Manchester, as well as Ireland and, and, and people from all over the, the UK. Yeah. Um, and that homecoming parade, City deliberately went out to, 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 to sort of let ordinary people see the cup. And it sounds weird saying this, but this was the very first homecoming parade Manchester had ever had. And it was unofficial, but City Council didn't support it initially. So I'll, talk, I'll explain a bit more about that. But City went out there and went on some of the back streets, not just the obvious places that you'd expect them to go, they went on some of the back streets. And there's some good quotes that I'm going to uh, talk about. And there's there's um, some good sort of stories connected with that, which really sort of show that this wasn't, a success for just those people who happen to support Manchester City and go every week. This was a success for Manchester, for all of Manchester, no matter what your background, no matter who you were, no matter where you came from. And there was, um, there was an article written years, well, around the same sort of time as, as City won the FA Cup, which was actually saying that um, football clubs were not representative of their cities that they were basically and this is funny comparing it to today but they were basically buying in the names from all over you know basically yeah. all over all over british isles but all over um and getting them to represent their their city and they had no connection with their city and so on and this article was written about 1905-1906 but they'd missed the point with manchester city because with <laughs> manchester city the team was typical of manchester it was made up of people from all over the United Kingdom. And so was Manchester. Manchester yeah. had grown at this incredible rate. And so the football team, you know, we had Welsh people and Scottish people and all people from all over, you know, the UK. As, and ordinary people living on Clue Street in West Garden came from all those different places. You know, they were all brought together in Manchester at the time. And so the football... Uh, I'm going to say the word United, but the football united Manchester behind yeah. City. And and so that that's why it's important. But I'll go into a lot more detail and it'll make more sense when, when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm on stage next week. But but it, it is really important. I think for any football fan, who, who uh, any City fan who sits at home and, and gets abuse off his next door neighbour, off the... You know, somebody at work about, ah, you, you, you're a new club or, or where were you and all that sort of stuff. You're not even, you know, you've got no history. Well, this talk is going to talk about that Manchester City was the club, was the club that by within 15, well, 20 years that we've been formed was the best supported club in, in uh, England. Uh, and it was best supported club in England. First Manchester team to win a major trophy and a real power and regarded as a real power as well. Not just... You know, oh, they've won the cup, and yeah, you know, they they good up this year. No, they were they became a force. Yeah, of course, the tribalism is just not there in those days. Was there? Was there a feeling? What were they supported? Was it? You know, if City won something, would would Manchester yes, as a whole be proud of that, or was? Yes. Did you say there was tribalism even at that early stage? Um. No, there was. On Derby Day, obviously, you wanted your team to win, but no. Yeah. It, it tended to be, and this is true for all of Manchester, it tended to be City first, 
Then if City couldn't win something, then United, and then you tended to think about the Lancashire clubs, right. and then you know, and it, so it went on. So so typically, people from Manchester would prefer Burnley to win the FA Cup to Arsenal, you know, yeah. because, just because it's it's another lo- fairly local club. Um, it didn't matter about the status of clubs; it was it was about geography. But yeah, the tribalism wasn't quite wasn't there. To, actually, wasn't there at all. Um, when United, and I'm not going to talk about this really in the, in the talk next week, but when United won the FA Cup in 1909, they asked City's director, Albert Alexander, who who owned um, a, a sort of coach and horses, uh, if he would actually do United's homecoming parade. And so he led United's homecoming parade, just like he had with City's. And, yeah. and when United won the Cup, everybody saw that as a continuation of Manchester's success. The difference was City was first. And City was the one that became the power because they got in first, if you like. They, yeah. were, they were the first team to use the name Manchester in the league and they were the first team to find success. And and so I, I think any any City fan coming next week should feel some pride at, at, at what we're going to talk about because it, it's ammunition. <laughs> it's, you know, it's ammunition if you, you want to see, um, you want to have a, a, an argument or a discussion with, with a, a United fan or a Liverpool fan or whoever. Um, but more, more significantly, it's a reminder of what we are and where we've come from yeah. and where we've come from. Isn't the second division, you know, the third tier football, which a lot of people think that was our worst period. Get dropped into that third tier was a, a blip, a very painful blip and a really bad period for, for any of us who lived through that. Um, but this club has been a major power since the beginning, uh, well, since it was reformed, really, certainly, certainly by 1904 um, and all the way through. Yeah, I think if we can learn one thing from social media, it's people's inability to understand the meaning of the word history. Yeah, I mean, every <laughs> every club club's got history. Right? You know, yes, often, of course, MK yeah, Dons have got history, yeah. Exactly, and quite often when people say um, about success as well, you know, I, I, I point out that actually Berry won the FA Cup twice before either City and United had even got to a final. So, yeah. you know, it, 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 you, nobody could ever say Berry's got no history, you know. Um, and what they, what they tend to mean is you've not won a major trophy in fairly recent years until yeah. the money arrived, you know, and, and, and that angers me quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I might get a little bit angry next week as well. Um, but, <laughs> I'm counting on it. <laughs> oh God, I can. I'm going to charge a stage now, and I go at somebody I can see. And no, no. The the point about this is that every club should be proud of their history. Yeah. What you shouldn't do is belittle another club because they've not done something. So what I'm trying to do, a bit like exactly. the the folklore book that I did, I'm trying to say to people, look, don't when we're getting all this abuse, when everyone's firing this stuff at you. Just uh, pick up that book or come to this talk and listen to some of the facts. I, I'm an historian. I, I, you know, obviously, I like I like a story and I like to to, to tell something as it is. You know, like talking about um, Joshua Palby as if he's Brian Blessed. You know, it, it's yeah. a story. But but the fact is that the evidence is there for all of what I'm going to say next week. And Manchester City are a major club. Were a major club. And they've, like most other clubs, have had ups and downs. Um, but we've, we have actually, believe it or not, we've tended to have more ups than downs over the 125 years. Yeah. So uh, before we look at the second half, uh, what dates are we really looking to go up to, look at in that first half? That first half really takes us up to 1904. I'm not, 
I'm not going to go well, just after 1904. I'm not going to go into what followed because yeah. um, that in itself should be another talk, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the bribe scandal and the illegal payment scandal because the, I would love to talk about that at some point and compare that to financial fair play because basically with that situation, um, the big boys of the period um, saw our city as young upstarts and they did all they could to try and uh, kill the club. And they couldn't. You know, even after the bans, we finished, I think it was third to United, United's first success, but third after we had 17 players banned from our team. Um, the manager gone, the director's gone. Um, Joshua Palby had to go. Um, that was one, that was, yeah, I think that was one sort of angle that Joshua Palby couldn't, get out of you know it was one of those things he just couldn't get away from but he did come back on the board and he he was with city um for well he was certainly there when it was the 21st anniversary of the club um and then he died the year after right okay we'll move on to the second half uh am i right in saying this will focus more on the role of supporters in manchester city's history yeah, so I'm going to talk a bit about um, some of the early stuff with supporters. Um, there's a there was a, a boys stand at Hyde Road, um, and I'm going to talk about that because that was something else that set the sort of culture of the club, and the the and it's it's something that made sure made sure that twenty years later the club had enormous support, and it was it was very important at the time. So I'll talk about that. I'm going to talk about chance. Um, you know, where some of them come from, what some of them are. I'm going to play um, some some chants um, from the past. Um, and, it, yeah, I'm going to talk about banana craze and talk about the supporters club. I'm going to spend a bit of time talking about support in terms of attendances and, and crowds. You know, again, one of the sort of pains that we go through at the moment is we have a crowd of 54,000, but people focus on one or two empty seats which are obviously season ticket holders who couldn't make it for whatever yeah. reason. And, you know, we suddenly get told we've got no supporters, even though we've got higher average attendance than Liverpool, you know, and yeah. and, and I've had for uh, about a decade, maybe more, you know. So, so yeah, um, I'm going to spend a bit of time talking about support and sort of, again, proving to people what we, what we are, what we were, what we, what we, what we should be proud of really yeah um and again more ammunition for for anyone else um so yeah and and, and i'll mention you know things like um the old city flag ellen turner but you know ellen mabel and, yeah and and things like that and then i i'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the supporters club itself because obviously it's its, it's 70th anniversary so i'm going to explain a bit about about that um and although it's its 70th anniversary Actually, our supporters club goes way back. It was one of the first in the 1920s. What happened in 1940 was it was reconstituted. So I'm going to explain a bit about that as well, because we can suddenly change the date it was formed, obviously. But I think it's important to remember that that supporters club is actually around about 90 years old in, in, in truth, which, you know, Manchester United supporters club was established in about 1965, I think it was. So, yeah. you know, in comparison, it's, it, it's ancient. Yeah, so you know, when you're looking at attendances, you just go again going to talk about I hate the word size of a club. <laughs> I think that's what annoys me more than anything on social media or online, you know, when talking to other fans. But you are looking at the historical you know, Yeah. Uh, I mean, support, strong support for you know, throughout the history. 
Yeah, throughout yeah, throughout history. I mean, what, one of the things that bugs me, I mean, it, it, if you think about it, for me, 1983, when City got relegated, was an absolute shock. That was the, the it, I mean, it shocked everybody. It was we have never been in bottom three. Yeah. It was a, a shock. And so the relegations that followed, including the ones in the 90s, obviously extremely painful. And they took us to places we, we had never thought we'd ever go to. Um, but the 1983 one, was probably the biggest of all those shocks, as, as crazy as it seems, it was probably the biggest. Because on the day that City got relegated, we were only something like two or three trophies behind Manchester United. Um, we were one of the best supported clubs, top three or four. It, it, sometimes it was third, sometimes it was fourth. And we had been for about a decade before that. So even even in our struggles, even in the relegation season, we were still top third or fourth best supported club. Um, United and Liverpool, who, you know, people would say United didn't have much success in the seventies. Well, they they challenged for the league and they did win the FA Cup, you know. Um, so and and Liverpool, of course, had lots of success in the in the seventies and eighties. So for City, who had won one trophy in seventy six, you know, to have maintained that position as one of the top three best supported clubs during that period was remarkable and so i'm gonna i mean i'm not just going to talk about 1983 i'm going to talk about before that and 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 recent years as well actually um because it, it is something that drives me mad now yeah. now empty seats seems to matter more than actual attendance you know in in the if you look at any game from the 1970s there could be 40,000 at main road but the stadium held 52,000 yeah, twelve, you know, twelve thousand empty seats. Well, well, nobody ever talked about that at the time. It's an incredible support. You got forty thousand for a game. You know, it's a very British trait, I think. Or maybe yeah, English, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I think social media is just at the moment. We've it's not just social media, but I think it, whether it's politics or, or whatever, it seems to be be negative first and and challenge people yeah. uh, and and bring somebody else down to make yourself feel better so the whole point of next week for me is to actually say no let's let's not ridicule the others let's not laugh at the others let's think about what makes us sit and what makes us special what's what's our dna what what makes us manchester city the team that you know created the banana craze the team that um holds the record crowd the team that was first to win the fa cup you know all this sort of stuff i, I don't want to sit I, and i'm not going to do this i'm not going to stand up and, and and basically criticize liverpool or united what i'm going to do is say this is what we've achieved and we're proud of what we've achieved and i want every city fan who comes to feel that pride because we've taken a battering you know this is this is our potentially could be our most successful season ever. And I say potentially because like all, all City fans, we don't expect anything. You know, we've won the League yeah. Cup. But we, we waited years to win the League Cup, you know. Um, so potentially this could be our greatest ever season. And yet we're being told we should be um, challenging our owners, which is another subject altogether. But, you know, we, we should be challenging our owners, that we should be filling our stadium but we don't deserve it because we weren't here when we were rubbish. Well, we were, but yeah. So it's, it's just, so I want it, I want it to be positive. I want us to say, look, we're sitter. We're proud of where we've come from. Um, and, and this is, this is it really. Excellent. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, you know, you've written, I know this is a city podcast, so obviously yeah. it'll go out to city fans, but yeah. Would you, would you say you're, talk would be of interest to non-City fans? Um, or do you think it's 
it's, it's, it's biased. pitched to just the City fans. I wouldn't say it's just the City fans. I think it's you no, know, because no. To be fair, I mean, part of it is is a, a talk that I've done to a university in the past. A small part yeah. of it. Um, so and that's and it's gone down well. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time talking at universities and at, at conferences, uh, including quite a few in the states that I've been to. And I'm I'm constantly talking that Manchester isn't about United or Tevez or or Charlton or Cantona or even Aguero. You know, hmm. Manchester's. It, it, Manchester football goes back a long way and I, and it stuns people when I talk about the early years and, and the 1920s and the 30s and the size of support and the trophies and, and all of that it absolutely stuns people so I don't think it's it's I don't think it's only for City fans um, but I, I wouldn't want I, I think people would have to come with an open mind about Manchester yeah. City I think if you came there thinking Oh, all he's going to do is give us some city propaganda. You probably leave saying all he's done is give us some city propaganda. Um, yeah. But the, the truth is that the, it's factual. What I'm going to say is factual. I'm not going to stand there and start saying, you know, that um, Colin Bell was better than George Best, which yeah. he might have been, right? But, you know, <laughs> that, just saying that is, where's the evidence? Let's work it all out. What I'm going to stand up and say is, this is what Manchester City achieved. This is what City fans did. This is what makes Manchester special. This is, you know, I'm going to go through match day at Main Road. I'm going to remind people about the atmosphere, the noise, what we used to do, um, which hopefully younger people today might think, why can't we do that at the Etihad? You know, yeah. we used to chant every player's name as we were warming up. We'd go through them all, you know, starting, not always of a goalkeeper, but, you know, starting with Corey Gunn or whoever it may be. We'd chant the names and you think, we, we lost that at some point, probably because, you know, with the PA system is so loud these days. I don't know, but but maybe we need to bring some of this stuff back. Yeah. Well, excellent. Look forward to it. Can I just ask you a general question? You've obviously, one of your previous books covers, I don't know, what date did it go up to? Was it about 2000? I can't remember when you published your entire history of City. Uh, the last version was Manchester City Years, which went to 2012. Oh, 2012, right. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd briefly say about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I that was committed because it's a, it was a, a it's an enormous book. It was committed. It had to be published. <laughs> the last the the last page had to be with the publishers the day after the QPR um, wow. game. <laughs> and, I, and for the first time ever, because I've never really thought like this. But for the first time ever, I mean, the, the reason why it had to, was two things. The cover, obviously, was provisional. We hadn't settled on the cover and obviously the last bit of text because yeah. we didn't know. So I'd written everything up to that last, that last game. And I was tempted to sort of write, oh, you know, and City won the league, right? And, and so on <laughs> and then get finished. Uh, yeah. Because we going to that game, City won the league, hadn't we? You know, it was going to be easy. But I didn't, obviously, because again, you can't you can't predict. But I remember being stood there with you know five minutes to go. We we've lost the league. United are starting to celebrate and all that. And I, for the first time ever, I stood there thinking, my book, the yeah. book. Nobody's going to want this book now. Nobody's going <laughs> to want it. Right? And I remember thinking that. And um, and then obviously the magic happened and Aguero and all of that and. After that, I I thought, oh god, I've now got to write this. How do you how do you capture what's just happened in words? It, yeah, it was it was too amazing, and and so I 
the next day I really struggled and I ended up saying yeah, to you know the, the designer and, and stuff I said I need another I need more time and you haven't got time it's got to be today and ended up writing what I wrote and it hopefully it worked out fine but it was it's the weirdest end to a book that I've ever done because almost every time I've written a book City have either been relegated or failed to win a trophy so, so it was the first time I'd actually written you know because um the, the original version of that came out in 1997 it, and was, it, well, it was published, you know, when City were just heading towards their lowest ever position, mm. um, you know, because they got relegated at the end of that season. And yet it sold 6,000 copies within 12 months. It was incredible. Mm. Um, no book has ever, no book of mine has ever sold as many as that and certainly not within 12 months. Um, and so, yeah, so it came out in 2012, the last version. I'd love to update it. The problem is, it's persuading a publisher. It's so big. Um, you know, there's, there's half, over half a million words in there. Wow. Uh, um, and, and, I, and there's still more that needs to be written, you know, I yeah. mean, just look at the last seven years for a start, but, but even some of the other stuff, I'd, I'd like to expand it in certain areas and I'd like to do other things. So if, if, if there's ever, if there's a publisher out there who would be keen to spend the sort of money on producing a, a, a full color, probably 600,000 word book um, then I'd like to talk to them but uh, yeah it's been difficult but I would love to update it <laughs> mate one day one day mm. but still maybe you should hold fire a bit and wait and see what other stories uh, can be told in the next couple of years so. well one of the other issues for anyone and, and I know you know you've, you've you've written some great stuff as well and it, it's, it's mm. difficult but um, there's, there's a lot of books out there now on yeah. there and there's choice, but it's not, and that's good. Choice is excellent, but bookshops don't want choice. They want one book on City or one book on United, and and so it's d- really difficult persuading uh, bookshops to stock some books, especially if it's a book that's likely to cost twenty five pounds or more. Yeah. Um, and Waterstones recently have, have stopped stocking lots of football books nationwide it used to be that if you went into you know Merthyr Tidville or whatever if there's one there you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd find club books and they don't you know books on different clubs they don't do that now um you'll only find club books in the city that they're from usually I mean there's there's one or two slight exceptions but usually um so so that's dried up um people don't read in the same way as they used to do uh and there's less there's less bookshops and and buying off amazon if it's if it costs 25 pounds people aren't going to do it really yeah the actual original question i was going to ask is like you've done this book across the whole history but you must still find now you know when you're researching as a historian find new stuff about city all the time that you never knew about does that give you a buzz and is that what drives you on to to keep writing about them in a way Absolutely, and, and that's why it it also, um, and I'm, I know you you probably feel the same way about this. There are sometimes books produced by people who are not city fans or not connected with city, and they're just sort of churned out um, yeah. using the same old stories that we all know, right? You know, and it that frustrates me because I know there's lots more to be written. Loads of stuff that's to be written. You know, I, I did, I, I did interviews, for example, with Peter Swales, some of which has never been published. And I'd love to publish some of that because it might just explain that period a bit better than than anything else has really. And and there's there's loads of stuff like, this. um, but 
there is so much to learn and so much to 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 write about that no one should really just churn out something that that is a a, a sort of rehash so typically and you you'll see this it used to happen mostly to to Manchester United, Liverpool, and to some extent Everton, when they were having success, loads of books would come out by um, major publishers. They'd have lots of photographs in, not a lot of text. Yeah. Um, and you knew that what happened is they just found somebody, anybody, to write this book and to tell the history of the club or whatever, and they'll sell it at £19, £20, whatever it is, and it sell, and they usually sell well. But the people who are buying it are being shortchanged because the person who's, who's written those sort of books quite often is just someone who's paid, you know, whatever he's paid, a couple of thousand pounds maybe, um, to churn out a book. And and it's not got the detail or it's not got the feeling that your books have or, 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 the, or the, the sort of passion. You, you know, it's, it's missing something. You know, so when you write or when I write or Dave Mooney or someone like that, yeah. There's, there's passion there because we've experienced it, we've lived it, we we know what it's like. You know, I I remember in the first edition of Manchester the Great City, I I included a, a a small piece just as a sort of it's in a it's in a column really um, about a game at Barnsley where I was on the supports club train, but the special as it used to be going to the game, and it stopped just outside Staley Bridge. And at the time I lived, um, well, about two miles from there. Um, and I'd, I'd gone to Victoria Station to get the train and then it's it broken down at, at Staley Bridge or, or whatever. But what happened was a horse had been um, hit by a previous train on the line somehow. Bizarre, really bizarre set of circumstances. But anyway, so the train was stopped. So the stewards from the sports club were coming down saying there's a, a dead horse on the line. It's got to be moved. We're going to be late. And it ended up that we arrived at Barnsley about 20 minutes into the game. Everybody thought we were um, winning because there'd been some sort of rumour and it turned out we were actually losing. <laughs> One of those typical sort of city days. Yeah. Anyway, so I just included this this story because I'd, I'd experienced it. I'd been to those, that game and I, and I just included this story about the horse on the line. And afterwards, I got loads of people when I spoke at supporters club meetings or or any, uh, any of events, people saying, I was on that train. I remember that day. Yeah. And you don't, you don't get that. You no. know, there might be something that happens at Tottenham next week, for example. There might be something peculiar that happens in the away section that only people there will ever know about. And if somebody puts that into a book, you know it's genuine. You know they're a genuine City fan and that they've been there and they've experienced it. And the problem with with some, um, some of these books that are, are churned out by national public, major national publishers are that they just don't have that. It could, it could be somebody who's a United fan writing about City. You know, it just they just tune out. Anyway, yeah. rant over. <laughs> <laughs> More of this next week, please. No, I mean, I've been a football fan. You know, any fan of the club, half half of it at least is not about what happens on the pitch. It's the it's the memories off the pitch, as you say. So yeah, you can't just you know you can't just put facts down and events. Yeah, you know, list events and expect it. It's been a motive read in a way. I mean, because... could you imagine somebody writing about the uh, Aguero? Because it's we we make this mistake of saying like the Aguero moment, the Aguero goal. You know, we sort of forget about the build up to that. We, we we forget about 
um, how Carlos Tevez had, had, had his sulk and all this sort of stuff, and then he yeah. was brought back in, and then he's doing his golf swing at Norwich, and, you know, all those sort of things about <sighs> um, Balotelli, you know, and what he did yeah. at Arsenal, right? Now, somebody writing that who isn't a City fan or isn't an experienced sort of writer of those sort of books, um, you know, detailed books, would probably write, purely about Aguero's goal and maybe one or two bits and pieces about um, that game and the weeks before it, they're not going to talk about how we felt when um, Tevez had his strop or how, how we felt when Balotelli kicked the ball into the crowd at Arsenal. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to, they're not going to understand that because they, no. they're not there. And okay. It doesn't mean the book's any, any better or worse, I suppose, but as a City fan, I want to read. I want to read something with passion. I'm going to write part two, like City's greatest alternative moments. I'm doing. Yeah. The, I'm doing the uh, the Tevez golf swing. Yeah, so I was there at you know at Norwich that day. Uh, it was hilarious at the time because we're winning and blah blah blah. But when you look back on it, it wasn't. You know, it was quite disrespectful in a way. But everything yeah. turned out all right, so who cares? So that's know. you know. But my opinions on that are a lot stronger than someone who just you know. A rival fancy and do that and just say, ah, nice one, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one because you're right. I mean, it's, that's one of the things I've I've always seen it as a as a positive and laughed about it. But yeah, but it is one of those things. But in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking, yeah, what if? What if it had gone the other way? You know, what if? What if we'd have ended up losing the league? We'd have started to point the yeah, finger at Balotelli. Exactly. And we'd have pointed the finger at Tevez, and there may have been one or two other incidents along the way that we we start to talk about in a bit more detail, and we think, well, he should have scored that goal, and he should have done that, and we'd have we'd have done that. Yeah, but yeah, but... I know I, I I'd like these the sort of alternative idea because, especially with City, there's so many of those sort of sliding doors moments where it could have just gone slightly the other way, yeah. and then you wonder what would have happened next and and you know and obviously the ultimate is you, you say well we wouldn't have been bought by the shake if you know Tommy Hutchinson had scored in the 8-1 cup final for example <laughs> instead of sorry so Tommy Hutchinson had scored on goal yeah um, so you know it all it all goes silly but you know it's, it's important and, and and like you say if you're there and you know how you felt at the time and, and it's it's what makes the game it's never well, anyone can write about what happens on the pitch um, because there's videos of our every moment now. So, you know, I could sit here and describe every game that has been played by, you know, probably Accrington Stanley, but, but the, in recent years. But but the thing about that is it's what happens off the pitch and around yeah. the pitch. And, and that's why Bernard Alford, um, the tributes to Bernard Alford have been incredible. And yeah. it's not because of what he did on the pitch, because obviously, <laughs> you know, he, he's not a player, yeah. but it's because... We know that journey he's been through because we've yeah. been through that journey and we've all experienced it, the highs and the lows and so on. And, you know, there have been times in Bernard Alford's life when he was criticised a lot by supporters because of things that have gone wrong. But the beauty of City fans is that we, just like we did with Peter Wells when he passed away, we know how to recognise somebody who cared about, sorry, yeah. who cared about the club, who was passionate about the club and somebody who stuck with it through thick and thin. And, it says a lot about City fans that the way we've acted in at times like that, you know, that's the soul of a club. It's it's, yeah. it's our DNA. Um, and so it hurts even more when people start saying, uh, you're a plastic club, you invented in 2008, you're this, you're that. Yeah. 
you know, what other club has had people like Pete the Badge, Ellen Turner, you know, Ellen Mabel, um, Bernard Alford, obviously, Stan Gibson, the groundsman, you know, these people have been held up higher than a lot of our players. So, yeah. you know, I think that's significant. Yeah. Hey, hey. Uh, one final just go left field. I mentioned it pretty, uh, I don't know if I did mention it in the introduction. Uh, away from your talk next week, uh, there's a fail mount. I think it's tomorrow. We're, we're talking, people may listen to this at any time, of course, uh, but we, we're talking on Thursday, the 4th of April. I think it's tomorrow that the keeper is on general release, a film about Bert Troutman. Uh, now, you were involved helping some research for this, uh, I believe. Yeah. Do you want to talk briefly about your role in it? And you've seen the film I haven't yet. I'll make it. Obviously, yeah. I'll see it when it's out. Uh, and your thoughts on the film itself and what it concentrates on. Because obviously, it's not an autobiography. You know, it's not a life story, is it? So. Yeah, it's, it's, I've seen it oh God, it's four or five times now because I, I've, seen, I've seen versions that are different to the final version, actually. But um, I, it's a, it was a fairly small role, really. But I, I provided consultancy. On the, on the credits, I'm down as Man City consultant. Um, but but the, the fact is that I sort of I got the script fairly early on and provided comments um, as to what was factually accurate and what wasn't. I provided them with photographs and video links uh, for Main Road and Wembley Stadium so they could get the CGI right. And and they've got that pretty spot on. There's there's one or two things that are not perfect, but you know it's it. I think most fans will be pleased with what with the way that looks. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I provided, uh, for example, Bert's comeback game was against Wolves. So I told them uh, it was Wolves. I gave them the details. I provided them with the kit that Wolves wore um, and and generally tried to provide the sort of Manchester football, but but also Manchester as well, accuracy. Um, and obviously, like any film, it's it's got a lot of artistic license. So it's telling a story which is in keeping with Bert's story, if you like. Yeah. Um, so there are bits, uh, the footballing bits, for example, that are a little bit out of sequence um, in terms of when they happened and so on. Um, but that's, it's, it's, that's not, none of that's important. What is important is that it's trying to get across the feelings of the time and the story. And it takes it, it, it I mean, his life was, well, he obviously only died a few years ago, but his life was an extraordinary life. And so it's impossible for him to put everything in there. So what it's telling mostly is some of the war, um, his relationship and life in St. Helens, and then 56, yeah. uh, signing for City and 56, and then what, what follows the final. Um, and I don't want to spoil any of it, obviously. Um, <laughs> I think it's, I don't think it's spoiling by saying he broke his neck. I think <laughs> no, I don't think that. it but, is, no. But that, that's not the main story. Um, this it's really important to get this across, but it's not it's not a football story. Yeah. I saw there was a review in When Saturday Comes that's out this week, and the review's a bit of a negative one actually. And it's because it's saying it should have ended with them winning the FA Cup in 1956. But that would have been totally wrong because that's not what the story's about. It's not a Roy of the Rovers story. It's a story about a life, it's a story about a prisoner of war who had won the Iron Cross for bravery and, and was classified as, you know, the second highest level of Nazi when he was brought to Britain. It's about how that man transformed his life, if you like, and became a major hero, not just for his football, for everything else. And then obviously his personal life and what goes along with that. 
And I think people love it. John Enshaw's fantastic in it. He's playing he's he's playing Bert's father in law uh, and he's he's superb. But all the actors are, are great and a lot of the actors will be familiar with people, um, you know, people with familiar with the work. Brilliant. I went to see uh New Early Doors yeah. his show. And it was at the Lowry and John came into the bar afterwards and had a chat with us because we <laughs> you know it was a blue, obviously, so lovely bloke, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he brilliant, is. brilliant actor as well, so yeah, and and John actually, because a lot of it was filmed in Germany, most of it, uh, and a lot of the crew are German. They didn't quite get some of the English sort of phraseology and, and stuff. So John introduced them to quite a few English words, which they've incorporated. <laughs> they ended up incorporating in the script because you know he was saying, well, somebody from Manchester wouldn't say that. Somebody from St. Helens wouldn't say that. Um, it's been filmed in Ireland and Germany. Uh, mostly there's odd mm. bits that have been done elsewhere but mostly ireland and germany and uh, you know that's interesting because i mean anyone from saint helens will look at the the film of saint helens and think where are these hills because in say in, in on the film it was obviously filmed in ireland that bit so it's quite hilly whereas saint helens itself is, is flat um but apart from you know one or two things like that the story is, is fantastic and it's certainly worth watching and it's worth watching and taking people who are not football fans and not City fans, it is not a Manchester City film, and it's not a film about football. There is some football in there, and there obviously is in a Manchester City interest, but it's a story that it could have been about a ballet dancer. It doesn't matter, yeah. you know. It's 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 a great story. So I assume it shows action, dramatised action of the fifty-six. Yeah. Yes. Well, now, my, my final question. Then I always get very nervous. Watching people recreate sports, sport in film and TV, it's, it, I mean, it must be very difficult to do. Do you think they do a good job of recreating a football match? It's a lot better than in most others. In, yeah. in fact, probably a lot better than all of us. Even even Escape to Victory. I remember watching Escape to Victory. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and, and Pele, you know, the world's greatest footballer, Pele's on there, and he's got a bandage wrapped his ar- on his arm. And I think at one point in the film, the bandage swaps arms. And it's just because he he has to he has to score this overhead kick, you know, this goal for yeah. the overhead kick. And he, oh, that's awful. But but yeah, the in terms of football, the the, the actor David Cross, Cross who plays um, Bert, he seemed to perfect his throw and his kick and yeah, catching the ball and and stuff. I mean, it's great. There's not a lot of. I mean, there, there is action. There's not a yeah. lot of football action, and at one point as well, what they, they use quite a load of, um, quite a lot of the old Pathé News black and white footage. Oh. So they actually see Roy Clark scoring a goal yeah. rather than an actor playing Roy Clark scoring a goal. Um, some of the footballers, I think it's important for for City fans to realise this, but the other players in the team don't really have characters or names, so you, you're not going to find Roy Paul. Um, with a big speaking part or anything like that. That's not yeah. the case. So most of the other actors don't look like the City players that played alongside Bert. That's not important because the story's not about them. It's about Bert Troutman. So, you know, uh, Bert Troutman does what he does in the film and it's uh, it's fantastic. You, need, yeah. you know, every, everyone should go and watch it, definitely. Brilliant. Something else to look forward to next week. Uh, right, I think we've covered everything. So... Uh, just to reiterate, it's next Thursday, the 11th of April, a half seven start, I think, at the Dance House Theatre. Uh, if you haven't got tickets already, 
do. City play on the Tuesday, so there's plenty of time to, to get over the Champions League or get back from the Champions League uh, and come to this on the Thursday. Uh, tickets still available. Go on the Dance House Theatre site. You'll see it there in the events section right at the near the top. We'll obviously put links anyway when uh, this shows out and there's links to the ticket site on Gary's timeline and on mine as well there will be in the next day so lots of different ways to get in there get some tickets it sounds absolutely fascinating and uh, looking forward to it Gary thanks very much for coming on and talking thanks uh, so really enjoyed it. about City so. thanks yeah I really enjoyed it thank you yeah brilliant uh, and hopefully see you next week uh, thanks everyone for listening uh, plenty more shows coming up of course with the games coming thick and fast so until next time goodbye and up the blues